Hello, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Horizon Church in Allentown, Pennsylvania. We want to help people connect with God and connect with each other. If you'd like to know more about us, you can go to our website at horizonconnect.org. Enjoy. Thank you, Andy. So if you want to, I'm just going to read one sentence this morning from the book of um, Colossians. So uh, if you're a follower, a longer, and you want to find it, um, you can find the book of Colossians. But because it's one sentence, you may want to just uh, pay attention to the screen when we get there. Let me, um, I'd like to ask you again to, to pray with me. So would you, would you uh, pause and uh, take a deep breath, and then we'll pray. Our Father, we are about to engage with you through your written eternal word, and our confidence in you is firm. But should I stray from truth by mistake or misunderstanding, guard us from any influence that might lead to a house built on sand, where your truth intersects with our lives, we pray that you will transform us into people who are growing more and more in every way like Christ. And shape us, Father, through your Spirit's presence so that in all ways we live out truth in love. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I know uh, I have told you this story before, so it may be familiar to a few of you, but this is, it's a story that just absolutely fascinates me because of, what, because of what it reveals about us human beings. There is a guy named Joshua Bell. Anybody know the name Joshua Bell? A couple of you will know his name, Joshua Bell. Joshua Bell has been, um, he's been one of the most famous violinists and conductors uh, around the world. And if he, if he was here, if he happened to be playing in the Allentown Symphony, Hall, I guarantee you, because of his fame, it would sell out in an hour. Um, I checked to see, by the way, just kind of trivia, I checked to see um, what it would cost to go see one of his concerts, and I found out, first of all, that if you wanted to go see him in the near future, you're going to have to get yourself to Madrid, Spain, and uh, the concerts in Madrid have been sold out for uh, over a year, so we ain't going, even if you want to see him. In fact, there are a couple tickets being sold on some of those extra ticket places, and all of them have four zeros behind them. So um, I ain't going anyway. Um, anyway, about a decade or so, about a decade or so, a guy who writes for the Washington Post uh, got Joshua Bell to do an experiment. He dressed up in jeans and put a Washington Nationals baseball cap on his head, and he went into the busiest subway station in Washington, D.C. in the morning, rush hour, and he spent an hour playing a violin at the Washington, D.C. subway station. That's a picture from the security cameras. It's fuzzy, I know, but you can see Joshua Bell standing off to the side at the entrance to the busiest subway station in, in, uh, in D.C. By the way, just so you know, the violin that he was playing, that he owns, that he plays, it, that violin is so famous, the violin is itself named. It has a name. It's called the Gibson Stradivarius, and it's worth something like three and a half million bucks. So he spent an hour in the Washington, D.C. subway station playing a $3.5 million violin, and he played the same thing that he had played just three nights before where he had played to a sold-out crowd in Boston. And the whole time that this was happening, this was being secretly recorded. And you can watch it. You can go on YouTube and watch the recording, and it is fascinating. Because in one hour, you can count, in one hour, there's over 1,000 
there's 1,097 people who flow by him. And of that 1,097 people, only 27 even look in his direction. And only one of 1,097 people, only one recognized him and stopped and stood there in kind of awe watching Joshua Bell playing a $3.5 million violin. He managed to collect. This is a guy, one of the best violinists in the world, who um, playing a $3.5 million violin who gets paid in the five figures for a single concert. In one hour of playing, he managed to collect $32.17. <laughs> and 20 of that came from that woman, the one woman who, um, who recognized him. It's fascinating, isn't it? It's fascinating. And there are all kinds of reasons for this, all kinds of reasons for why this could happen. The most famous violinist in the world could play for an hour, and, and very few people know what's going on. But one of the main reasons for this, and this has been proven over and over again in all kinds of experiments, um, we just do not expect much from ordinary. On an ordinary day, in an ordinary subway, what we expect is ordinary and nothing else. And ordinary does not interest us very much. Ordinary is what we all do when we roll out of our ordinary beds and look at our ordinary selves in the mirror and eat our ordinary shredded wheat and wait in line in Starbucks for ordinary coffee, living out our ordinary days in ordinary ways. And at the end of our ordinary days, we hardly ever stop to think that we will never, ever live this ordinary day again. And ordinary is where we do almost all of our living. And that means if you and I are going to grow to be more and more like Christ, which is what we've been talking about for forever, it seems, if we are going to grow, it means that we're going to have to be growing in our ordinary days. Days like this is where we will have to grow. So how do we grow to be more and more like Christ in every way on an ordinary day? Well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And I want to read just one sentence to get us launched. This comes from the brilliant mind of the Apostle Paul, as well as, I believe, from the mind of God. And this is the sentence that Paul wrote to the people in Colossians. Whatever you do or say, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Whatever you do or say, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Now that's all we're going to read is just that one sentence, but let me tell you where we're going to go to talk about this sentence. I really want to spend a bunch of time talking about that phrase, whatever you do or say, because in my mind, that's the phrase that talks about what you and I do on an ordinary day. Whatever you do, whatever you say, that seems to cover most of what happens in an ordinary day, right? There are no except clauses in that phrase. There are no exceptions. Whatever you do, whatever you say, pretty comprehensive. And that's where we spend our time on ordinary days. Whatever you do, whatever you say. So I want to spend some time there. However, there is something you have to know. There is that little phrase that always trips me up, and that phrase is key to knowing how to do this, 
And it's the phrase that comes next. Do it in the name of our Lord Jesus. If you don't know what that phrase means, to do it in the name of our Lord Jesus, then it's hard to move forward with figuring out that whatever you do, whatever you say. So you need to know this. You need to figure out what this means. This is one of those phrases, this phrase, in the name of Jesus. This is one of those phrases that appears all the time in the Bible. But I'll be honest with you, most of the time when we read that phrase, we read right over it without ever stopping to ask, well, what does it mean, the name of Jesus? It's all over the Bible. So, for example, when you read the Bible, you will read that we are supposed to pray in the name of Jesus. The Bible says things like, um, anyone who asks in his name is forgiven. Paul, sometimes when he's teaching, Paul will say that I am teaching in Jesus' name. There's a couple times where Paul is actually scolding people, chiding them a little bit for things, and he says that he is scolding believers in Jesus' name. And there's a couple times, there's a couple times when various authors of the Bible will say things like, anybody who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. So it's a phrase all through the Bible that seems to be rather important. Now, if you were looking at your Bible, you know, online or, um, you know, whatever, if you're looking at your Bible, you might have noticed that the Bible I normally read from, the one that's scattered among the pews if, in the seats, if, had you been looking at that, you'll see that that Bible tries to help us out a little bit and to understand what that phrase means. Because the Bible I normally read from, not the one that I read up there, that's up there, Bible I normally read from, it, it takes that phrase in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it translates it to say, as a representative of the Lord. In other words, whatever you do, whatever you say, do it as a representative of the Lord. And that certainly is accurate. It's like that gets at at least one slice of the pie of what that phrase means. Because the truth is to do something in Jesus' name, to do something as a follower of Jesus means that we do it as a representative of Jesus. We represent Jesus. Which means that if people are watching your life or if people are watching my life, people can start to think about Jesus based upon what they think about you, that you're a representative of him, and that's what it means. And that's a little sobering sometimes, isn't it? You know, I have a, my 16-year-old Saturn view is, um, is probably near death, and I'm struggling with this because I found that it's not going to pass inspe inspection. So I have been dealing with um, whether or not I actually want to spend time crawling underneath it to, to fix the rust. Actually, I decided, much to the chagrin of everybody in my family, I have crawled underneath and fixed the rust spot, uh, mainly because I am a firm believer in not shooting the horse until you know there's no hope. And there is still hope, so the rust is fixed. Anyway, all that to say that this is what I've been struggling with. And one of the reasons that I've been thinking, you know, it may be good to get rid of the Saturn view is because I have a sticker on the back of the Saturn view, and the sticker says, I love Horizon Church. And the day I put that sticker on, Donna stood there looking at it, and she said to me, you know you're going to have to start driving like a Christian now. <laughs> so it may be a good thing to let the car die, because then I can go back to driving like normal, right? The, the truth is, whatever we do, whatever we say, we do it as a representative of Jesus. 
And I have to tell you, this thought, this idea, honestly, it has led to some of the saddest moments that I've ever had as a pastor after 40 years of doing this pastor thing. Because there have been times when I've been interacting with a person, not from Horizon Church, outside of church. And in conversation, you know, it's one of those small world moments where they'll say a name and I'll recognize the name and I'll say, oh, I know that person. Um, They come to Horizon Church. They go to my church. And the brows will wrinkle up a little bit and they'll say something like, he goes to your church? Or, like, is she active in your church? Is she a member? Because the person I know um, doesn't act a whole like as much as a follower of Jesus Christ Monday through Friday. You should hear her mouth at work. Or, as a boss, it's kind of surprising because he doesn't typically keep his word. What he tells us he's going to do for us, he never does. Or, wow, she goes to church, she's quite a flirt at work. We're pretty sure some hanky-panky's going on. Those are actually things I've heard over 40 years, literally. In fact, over 40 years, there have been a half dozen times, and this is true, when people have actually sought me out. They've worked to find me and called me or emailed me, and they said, so-and-so comes to your church, right? And I think he's in leadership, or I think she's in leadership, and just so you know, this is what's going on at work. And then a story follows. And if you're sitting there right now, here or on YouTube, and the sweat is trickling down your spine, and you're thinking, holy crap, did somebody call about me? Well, if you gotta wonder, then maybe it's time you rethink the phrase. Whatever you do, whatever you say, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because there is no co-worker exemption in that phrase. There is no boss exemption in that phrase. There is no business owner exemption in that phrase. And it means what it means. And it means at least in part that whatever you do, whatever you say, you do it as a representative of Jesus. Now, the phrase means more than that. That's just one slice of the pie. It means more than we do what we do as a representative of Jesus. And I have to tell you that this is a case where we are really, really fortunate today. Because if we could go back to the ancient world, the world of the Hebrews or the world of the Greeks, the way we use that phrase is almost exactly the same way they use the phrase. In the ancient world and in today's world, there's a very specific legal and cultural definition for what it means to do something in someone else's name. So follow this. This is what it means for us, and this is what it meant for them. Follow this. Here's what it means. Let me give you a couple definitions. Number one. Back in the day when I was a kid, there was a phrase that we would yell to each other when we were playing cops and robbers, and we got the phrase from TV because the police would yell this phrase on TV. Some of you will recognize it. We would yell, stop in the name 
of the law. I don't know if they yell that anymore, but we used to. Stop in the name of the law. Now, here's the thing. An ordinary Joe like me and like most of us, we can't yell that phrase. Stop in the name of the law. You have to be an officer of the law to use that phrase. But if you are, then what it means is that you, as an officer of the law, you have the force of the law behind you when you say it. So if I'm a cop, if I'm a police officer and I yell, stop in the name of the law, it means you're not just hearing me. You're hearing the law. And my words have the force of the law behind them. And it means if you do not stop, if you don't listen, it's not just that you're ignoring me. You're breaking the law. So to do something in the name of the law means that you now have the power and the authority of the law behind you. You could say, the law has your back. It's exactly the same to do something in the name of Jesus. Jesus has your back. The power and the authority of Jesus backs you up when you do something in his name. You are more than a representative. You now have Jesus with you. You have his courage, you have his strength, you have his power with you. So it means to do a thing in the name of Jesus, it means Jesus has your back. It means this, it means a second thing, or a third actually. Here's another way we use the phrase today. This past Christmas, um, somebody in my family uh, gave me a gift, and they said to me, we are making a, don a donation in your name. The gift was to me. They said, we're, we're making a donation in your name to Kiva. It's a, an organization that makes microloans around the world. They set up an account online. They put money in it, and then they gave to me the account, and they said, it's yours. You manage it. You interact with people. And I even get the credit. They did this with their resources, but they made a donation in my name because they knew it was something I cared about. They did it for me knowing that this is what I would want done. This is also what it means to do a thing or say a thing in Jesus' name. It's what he would want done and he gets the credit. We do it in his name, but the credit goes to him. Now, here's another thing it means. Imagine that we're having a conversation, and you're looking for work. You lost a job. So in our conversation, I might say to you, oh, I know a guy that has some job openings. Let me give you his phone number, give him a call, and when you call him, use my name, I will say. Use my name. And what I'm telling you is, is that my name has some influence with him. We're friends. We're connected. He trusts me. So if you call him and you use my name, it will matter to him that you've used my name. And this is what it means to do whatever we do or say in Jesus' name. 
It means that the connection we have with Jesus has some influence. And let me tell you why this is really, really important for you to know. I'm guessing that you all know that the kingdom of God has enemies. I'm guessing you know that there's resistance to God and to good in this world. Evil exists. But it doesn't scare me. Not at all. And it shouldn't scare you. Not if what we are doing and saying is done in Jesus' name. Because in defiance of any enemy and in defiance of any amount of evil that you will ever face, you can always say it is done in Jesus' name and his name matters and I have his name. And finally, the last thing it means to do a thing or to say a thing in Jesus' name. It might be that I or you sometimes, maybe some person gives you what we call power of attorney. And what that means is that I'm being given authority and I'm being given the right to act in place of that person. I can say, well, I know that this is what she would want done, but she's not here. I am. And I can function in her name because I know this is what she would want done. And that's what it means when we do a thing or say a thing in Jesus' name. We know this is what Jesus want, want done. What we do with everything we do or everything we say, we should be able to say this is what Jesus would want done if he was here in person in this world. Now, that is the whole pie, not just a slice of it. All of those things are what it means when we say, whatever you say or whatever you do, we do it in the name of Jesus. It means we're his representatives. It means Jesus has our back. It means Jesus gets the credit for what we do. It means his influence matters. And it means what we do, we do in his place. Now, now that we know that, let's get to our days. How do we bring the name of Jesus to whatever we do or whatever we say? Here's the first thing you need to know. Because we're talking about ordinary days, this does not mean that you have to start doing extraordinary things. Doesn't mean you have to start doing different things. Now, maybe as an aside, I think it's true. I think all of us occasionally, there are things that we shouldn't be doing or things we shouldn't be saying, and those should stop. But for most of us, what this means is that in our ordinary days, we don't have to do different things. We just have to do ordinary things differently in Jesus' name. There's a great movie, and you know, um, this almost didn't make the final cut, because if you haven't seen the movie, this probably won't make any sense. So did anybody, have any of you seen the movie About Time? Oh, this is going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's just skip now. Um, 
you should see, it's a 2013 movie about, it's Donna's favorite movie, and I can recommend it. You should see it. It's a, it's a quirky little English movie. I don't know what it says about Donna that she likes quirky little movies, but that's another subject for another time. Here's the deal, um, called About Time. Without giving away any secrets, uh, giving you a spoiler, it's not going to hurt you to know that the men in this movie are able to travel back and forth in time. Now, not just any time. It's not like they can go see the dinosaurs. It doesn't mean that they can visit Hitler and change history. They're able to simply go back and forth to days that they've lived so they can relive a day. Now, I know some of you are thinking like, oh, this sounds like a science fiction time travel movie. I guarantee if it was that, Donna wouldn't watch it. It's not that. It's a movie about life. It's a movie about love. And they use that vehicle of being able to go back and forth in time and, and relive a day as a way of just showing us things about life and things about love. So in the movie, most of the time, you're watching a father and a son and their lives. It's the son who narrates the movie. These two, the father's son, they're the ones who've been given the gift of being able to travel in time. Towards the end of the movie, dad sits his son down, his son is narrating, and dad tells his son the single most important lesson about time travel. Two steps, his dad says, two steps to the secret of happiness. Step number one, live every one of your ordinary days, day by day, with all of the tensions and all of the worries and all of the frustrations that keep us from noticing how sweet this world can be. And then step number two, Dad says the biggest part of the secret is to live each day a second time. Don't change a thing. Don't take ordinary events that are either good or bad and change them. Just do them differently. Noticing, noticing the good gifts of this life, noticing smiles, noticing that hope always prevails, noticing that love is. Of course, you get to the final scene, and as you're watching this final scene, what you are watching is just scenes of ordinary life. Somebody shooting hoops, somebody dropping off kids for school, somebody reading, somebody kissing a boyfriend as he gets in a cab, people shopping, people napping, people taking out the garbage. But as you're watching all those ordinary scenes, the son who is narrating, he says his final thoughts. And he says, you know, I learned a lesson that my dad didn't even teach me. He says, I don't go back in time anymore. I don't go back to correct the days. I have simply learned to live each day as if I am coming back to correct it. And I try to do every day differently, noticing the first time around all of life's good gifts, that hope prevails, and that love is. Now you and I, as far as I know, we do not have the gift of time travel. But we have the gift of time. 
Every ordinary day lies yet before us. And you and I have an immense amount of freedom to decide how we will live it. So let's talk about whatever we do or whatever we say on an ordinary day. How can we do what we do? How can we say what we say in Jesus' name? Now, my ordinary days are very different from your ordinary days in terms of what we do. So I'm going to focus on what we say, because for the most part, what we say will always be very similar. Here are five things that I've been working on. These are my suggestions. You can come up with more. How I have been thinking about whatever I say, I say in the name of Jesus. Number one, very early on in this series, I told you about a simple discipline that I've been practicing for more than a year. As a person who is on the introverted side of the scale, my goal is simply this. Say one more sentence. That's all I try to do. Say one more sentence. Because as a person on the introverted side of the scale, generally if I'm at Weiss and talking to the clerk, I run out of things to say after, so how are you? That's where my conversation typically ends. But I don't want to be like that. I want to be able to talk to people. And so I have learned that if I am going to say one more sentence, then I have start, I have to start actually noticing people and looking at people and paying attention. So that's been my goal, one more sentence. And I might say things like, I like your glasses. You're going to be able to get outside and enjoy this beautiful day? I think you got your hair cut since the last time I was here. <laughs> I think I got here on Senior Citizen Day. At which point when she says, well, yeah, all of you get a discount today, that's, that's when I stop talking to her. But anyway, it's a very simple goal. That's goal number one for me in doing whatever I say, saying whatever I say in the name of Jesus. One more sentence. Often it launches a conversation, and that's my goal, to notice people by talking. Goal number two for me, stop talking about myself so much. I don't know if you've ever paid attention to our conversations, but most of our talking is actually talking about ourselves. This is the way it typically goes. Someone might say to you something like this, man, it has not been a good week. My son lost his job. Family's a wreck. I respond by saying something like, oh, man, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, you know, I know what it's like as a parent. You never stop being a parent, right? I got a son who's threatening to move to Texas. She'll say, oh, that's painful. I love having my kids nearby. I grew up near my parents. I've always wanted my parents near me. And I say, yeah, me too. We try to get together every Sunday for dinner. Now, if you pay attention to a conversation like that, have you ever noticed that that's the way many of our conversations go? Two people having a conversation and the person they're talking about 
is themselves. That's our default mode in conversations. It's our automatic response. What we are doing is listening only so much so that I can know the next thing to say about me. So I've been trying lately to stop talking about myself so much. To do this, what I have been forced to do is to learn the habit of asking questions. And what this does is it causes me to listen better and listen more. So if someone says, today my son lost his job, hasn't been a good week, his family's a wreck, I might ask, oh no, where was he working? Does his wife work? Is he looking for a job in the same field? How's he handling the stress? How are you handling the stress? You know, I do that because my goal is to become more like Christ in every way. And I am often amazed by what Jesus knew about the people he was talking with. And I know in church that sometimes when we look at Jesus' conversations and how he knew what he knew, I know that we usually take the easy cop out and we say, yeah, well, I mean, he was God, so... But Scripture says that he actually laid that aside Now, obviously, the Holy Spirit was at work within Jesus. But I'll be honest with you, I have come to think that Jesus knew what he knew simply because he paid attention. He noticed, and he listened. Now, I'll be honest with you, I am in first grade on this, but I'm working on it. I want to pay attention, I want to listen. And so because I want to listen better, my goal is to stop talking about myself and ask questions more. My third goal, I am working on saying the important things in life more. For example, a goal is, can I say the phrase, I love you? at least once a day. And once I realized it was pretty easy to do that, I've decided, okay, if I say it before noon, can I find a different person to whom I can say that phrase, I love you? Do I say phrases like, thank you, please? I want to say the important things in life more. Number four, often when I am thinking about saying something, I realize that very often I'm afraid to say it. And when I start to recognize that I'm actually afraid to say a thing, I've learned to ask, why am I afraid? And I have discovered that when I answer that question, why I'm afraid, that most of the reasons I give myself are really very foolish. So I have been learning to say things that I would not have said in the past, and that has been a very good thing. So let me give you an example, one that's relevant for all of us, not just my life. When I see a person who's new at church on Sunday, and if I'm not sure that they were ever here before, And I'm thinking, well, maybe I should know them, maybe not. My natural human reaction 
is fear. I'm uncomfortable. I have learned to ask myself, why am I uncomfortable? Why am I afraid of going up to this person I've never talked to before? And usually my answer is this. Well, if I go up to that person and ask and say, hi, my name is Bud, this is the first time here? They might respond, uh-uh, I've been coming for like six months now. And in my mind, my fear is that they are going to think that I'm foolish. And right there is my fear, that I will feel like a fool. Once I identify my fear, I will feel like a fool. I ask, well, is that fear legitimate? (laughs) Is it? Never, ever, ever in 50 years of church life has a person responded by saying or even acting like I've been a fool. Every single time, the reaction is one of kindness and understanding and even gratitude that I have taken the time to introduce myself. And I say this to my shame. What I now know about my life is that my fears have kept me from saying things I really should have said. There are probably thousands and thousands and thousands of sentences in my lifetime that have gone unsaid, things that should have been spoken because of ridiculous fear. I want my unspoken words to be less and less and less in the final years of my life. Finally, the last one. I have found that I never, ever regret it if I stop myself from saying something that was unkind or nasty. I try to remember that when I speak. These are the five habits that I've been trying to grow right now in my journey of doing whatever I say in the name of Christ. And it would be a real, real shame. It would be something that I believe you will regret if you do not take at least 30 minutes today or tomorrow to ask, what can I do differently so that whatever I say, whatever I do, I do it in the name of Jesus. And that's important for us. It's important for us because the name of Jesus is important. I think if you think about it, all of our names are important, aren't they? Names matter. I have on my brain right now a whole lot about names. Sometime within the next couple of days, I will meet my new grandson. (laughs) We don't still know his name. (laughs) I mean, he's the third one. You know how that goes? The first one, you bought the name books. You practiced saying it. You asked people. By the third one, you're on your way to the hospital. Oh, that's right, the name thing. We know it's going to be either Carter or Wyatt. 
I know what you're voting for. <laughs> no. <laughs> Carter or Wyatt <laughs> or Rainbow. <laughs> um, older sister Macy has already decided the baby's name. She's been calling the baby Rainbow <laughs> since the day she found out. Interesting story. Macy's five, early on, before anybody knew it was a boy or a girl, when she was told that she was going to have a brother or a sister, and the conversation went to, well, what's the name going to be? Macy loves two things in life. Well, besides Grammy and Papa. There, there are two things that Macy loves. Rainbows and unicorns. But rainbows she can draw. All you got to do is walk into my office and you will see Macy rainbows taped all over the place. So when Macy started thinking about a name, in her mind she asked, well, what's the thing I know most? What's my favorite? What do I love? I know. Rainbow. Let's call my little brother or sister Rainbow. And if you asked her why, she would say, because I love rainbows. It's fascinating, isn't it, this thing about names? It should be obvious by now to you and to me that the name that we love is Jesus. Jesus matters. But this is where it gets very interesting. To Jesus, your name matters. In the old, old book of Isaiah, God was speaking to his people one time. And he said to them, you don't have to be afraid. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. And that's you, and that's me. Don't be afraid. I have called you by name. Let's pray. God, first of all, I thank you for this promise that you know our names that our name is on your tongue. God, I thank you also that we know your name. I thank you, God, that the name Jesus matters. And because it does, whatever we do, whatever we say, we can do it in the name of Jesus. I pray, God, that you'll help us and inspire us and empower us to do just that. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about Horizon Church, please go to the website at horizonconnect.org. Have a great week.